1: This episode is brought to you by Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart
0: decision every time. Smartfood, add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. I'm delighted to welcome Eleanor Ford today. Eleanor is a cook, food writer, and author of two award-winning books, Samarkand and Fire Islands, Her latest book, The Nutmeg Trail, is an exploration of spice, combining historical research with a travel writer's eye and a cook's nose for a memorable recipe. It explores how spices from across the Indian Ocean have been adopted into cuisines all over the world. Welcome to the podcast, Eleanor. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Now, today we're going to explore 10 things you need to know about the ancient spice roots. But first of all, could you tell us a bit about your journey in food and how you came to write this particular book?
1: Well, I've been writing about food for a long time, starting off as a recipe editor. And what really fascinated me was the way that you can look at flavors and particularly flavors from different countries and you could see a story behind them, a journey that flavors took and how they fit together and how as you cross regions and cross borders, you can see a a blurring, a kind of melding of different um flavors so i became really interested in the way that food can tell a story of our world
0: yeah amazing um and this book in particular is is um your third book do you think your first books kind of started sparking things off about spice and how it worked and why yeah
1: absolutely my first book uh, looked particularly at Central Asia which mm. is a melting pot of East and West and where so many different cuisines come together and flavours fuse. Um, My second book, Fire Island, was about the cuisine of Indonesia. Mm. And that really is one of the starting points of the spice route with nutmeg and clove coming from Indonesia. So that really got me thinking about spices and the journeys that they can take us on as we follow the journeys they literally went on.
0: Amazing. So you're going to kick us off with Nutmeg, the spice and the title of the book, and a story to explain how it became so precious that it was actually involved in a kind of trade war, really. Tell tell us about that. Yes, Nutmeg is a spice with a very
1: powerful, very bloody history. It became so desired, so sought after, that in 1667, the tiny island called Run in Indonesia, which is where Nutmeg originally grew, grew was traded for manhattan which was um named uh, from new amsterdam into new york it was a it was an exchange between the british and the dutch who were circling their empires of power and nutmeg was deemed so important that it was worth trading new york for
0: And then what happened to the people on the island?
1: Well, it came with a very brutal and bloody history. Um, Spice trade had been so peaceful and carrying on for a long time. But when the Europeans got involved, the thirst for this commodity became so huge that there was a lot of war, of conflict. Um, The Dutch left a very sad legacy on the islands where they took Mm. control over. And a lot of the people suffered hugely their crops were decimated their livelihoods taken away there were massacres there was a huge amount of bloodshed in the name of spice and it's it's something important to remember for all of the wonderful legacy of spice Mm. around the world there are these these sad colonialist links that i think are important to acknowledge
0: And it is sad, because I think for your second point, you said it wasn't always like this, go back 4,000 years, and it was actually a peaceful trade.
1: Absolutely. Spice is one of the earliest commodities of the world that was traded. So... Yeah, if we look back 4,000 years, we've got so many different nationalities who plied the seas across the Indian Ocean, bringing spice east, west, north, spreading spices from all the different regions that they were grown to other regions. So it was a real time of people coming together of... of travel of transport of taking goods around it really laid the pathways for globalization Mm. and it was a very peaceful and um, profitable trade for a long time before it became too profitable and too greedy
0: and talking about the you know the the preciousness of it and the value of it um one of your points was cinnamon was so precious at one point that traders would make up mad stories to protect us, tell us to protect it tell us about that so
1: if you look at about the 4th century BC you will have writers in Rome talking about cinnamon Um, how to gather the sticks they were um, taken by wild fearsome birds up to build their nests in these steep cliffs and it would in order to be able to lure down the birds to shake down the cinnamon uh, you would throw um, donkey meat down and that would lure the birds down it would weigh down their nests and it would scatter so it, it sort of built up this great story which of course was completely untrue but it did contribute to this mysterious allure that spice held and hid its true origins so mm-hmm. helping to drive up prices it's thought that arab traders were using these stories to keep the real um origins of cinnamon in sri lanka or cassia in china um hidden and and keeping it mysterious and exciting it was
0: being believed it
1: was it was being believed
0: yeah <laughs> it was, it was, in yeah, it was interesting because I, when i was reading um in the intro you said because because often the spice route spice routes were so long and so involved different journeys and different crews taking them that your start point and end point no one would kind of really know where it had come from
1: absolutely no one could ever know the whole journey because there were so many different links so at each stage Spice sort of came more removed from where it had come from, more expensive, of yeah. course, and you know the the allure sort of heightened as it got further and further from yeah. its source.
0: The other interesting thing I think you said about cinnamon was um, was that it, it, in in the West, you know, we we think of cinnamon as a sweet um, spice, whereas you know, often in the East, they they use it in savoury dishes. So it's quite quite a, a different way of, of thinking, because again probably haven't been shown how to use it and just say well I'm gonna I'm tasting it it's it's got a sweet warming flavour I'm going to use it like this.
1: Well interestingly cinnamon isn't sweet in its own right but it enhances the sweetness of whatever it's paired with Mm. so it can be used um, absolutely it very often is used in savoury cooking as vanilla might be as well it's really a learned association from the cuisine you're used to eating as to how a spice could be used but if you look around the world you can see the same spices used in remarkably different ways definitely
0: and for number four you wanted to talk about the rarity and value and how spices were used in many other things other than cooking yes i think what
1: i've hinted at before talking about this great journey they went on these spices were held as something that was very mysterious Mm. something that was exotic it represented something that was from far away so very often will be tied into magic they'd be used as medicines they'd be used for worship you know burnt as incense these were these sort of exotic otherworldly commodities and um, also because of the great value they held could be used to show off status symbols Mm. so being able to add a flourish of spice to to food or to perfume would show that you could afford it yeah. and um, that in itself as we know value creates um, value
0: yeah. <laughs> and I think there was some I, I was quite surprised well, you shouldn't be surprised about this because in the um, in the chapter on saffron you're talking about how Cleopatra had it in her bath or, <laughs> you know it's but you, when you think about you know how much saffron is actually worth it's this M- ostentatious sort of display of wealth as well isn't it absolutely so often used in these historical
1: amazingly ostentatious displays and saffron is still so expensive it kind of gives us a hint as to spices you know today spices feel very accessible mm. even though they've still gone on great journeys but saffron is still so expensive. It's stamen still more than the weight in gold. And it just gives the kind of hint of what spices all used to be like, this yeah. great extravagance. And yes, to bath in it, what a display <laughs> of, of grandeur.
0: Um, and again, you know, for number five, the movement of ideas along with spices, because obviously you've created a route that spices need to go th- from one place to another you've got people moving traders moving you've got ideas moving as well tell us tell us about that so the spice routes are a maritime
1: route they're a sort of web really of routes that boats followed as they took spices and other goods Mm. all around asia and through the middle east to europe and back again it was a a web in every direction and people would sail these routes um, sailors would have to stop in ports and wait for the trade winds to change Mm. and would often wait there for months at a time before going on to the next part. And so people, this brought together people from all walks of life, many different nationalities in these cosmopolitan hubs. And there, they naturally would exchange ideas. This was the way that people would bring together new arts, new religion, music, they'd stop and they'd talk philosophy. And of course, with that came new ideas and food. Mm.
0: Uh, but yeah, I, I guess um, when you talked before about the you know slight blurring between um, cuisines, did, do you see that in, in recipes where there'll be a, a recipe from one country which is very similar to the other one with just a few little spices that are missing or added? or
1: Absolutely. You can see so many recipes that show... A journey, and um, there's a lot of crossover. For instance, between India and Indonesia, yeah, um, particularly the sort of korma-like dishes you can see have travelled from India, where they are rich um, in nuts and in fragrance, and. In spices, not necessarily piquancy, Mm. but in a sort of aroma. And those have traveled with the sailors to become the gulais of Indonesia, where the flavors are changed a little, the ingredient basis has changed. But you can see that the idea has has traveled quite a long distance across the seas, but um, (laughs) with the same route.
0: (laughs) And for number six, I love this. You say at almost every spice route port from Istanbul to Singapore, you'll find a version of a kebab. (laughs) I love the fact that the kebab becomes the universal sort of snack of choice. Tell us about that. Well, kebab's one of these foods that really has travelled
1: almost universally. (laughs) But the idea of meat on a stick probably started in Turkey or Central Asia. I mean, it was a great campaign meal for soldiers to be able to cook at camps in large scales. But this is a um, food that really travelled with the Arab sailors who held a pretty good monopoly on the spice trade for many millennia and so along with islam which traveled and coursed along the spice routes so did this idea of a kebab and merging and changing with each country that it landed uh, in and uh, taking on the flavors of that country or taking on the um, ways that people like to cook so by the time you get to thailand malaysia indonesia you get into satays still a form of kebab, still something that had come in with the Arab traders, but now having entirely new flavour profiles, bringing in lemongrass and lime leaves and taking on a completely distinct character. But you can see this all across the region to the spice route. And I, I like looking at kebabs as yeah. a story. It's, to this. It's
0: a, when you think about it, it's a really easy visual idea to, you know, you've got your coals, or you open fire, you've got a stick, you've got bits of meat or fish or vegetables on that stick and anyone from any, even without speaking the language can understand what that is. Absolutely. And yes, you say fish and vegetables and this came,
1: you know, things started as meat, yeah. but then you end up getting minced meat and it turns into koftas. You end up um, bringing in fish and when you're near the coast and you you can really make this such an adaptable idea with so many different base ingredients and flavourings that sometimes it's very far removed from where it started. Yeah. I love that this is
0: a single idea that had yeah. such
1: a widespread.
0: You'd not be surprised to know that on olivemagazine.com, things on sticks or kebabs is one of our most popular (laughs) recipes because people love them because they're really easy to make, aren't they? Well, they're so tactile as well. Yeah, exactly. I love number seven, um, and I'm just going to read it out. The search for peppercorns led to the discovery of America. How? (laughs) (laughs) Well, at
1: this exact point in history where spice was becoming so valuable, everyone wanted it because this was a commodity that was... Um, held such a great um, weight in its value Mm. that people were looking to try and find new ways to break the monopoly that um, spice traders held and get control of that power. So peppercorns were largely coming from India, largely plied by Arab traders again. And the Europeans were thinking, now there must be a way. Can we get to India another way? The idea that perhaps we could sail... Um, west rather than east and of course this led to christopher Columbus setting off to look for peppercorns when he arrived in america and for him rather disappointingly found allspice and found chili but not the peppercorns he was seeking (laughs) but he called chili or chilies became known as peppers perhaps to kind of soothe this this disappointment
0: incredible um i was going to ask you actually because one thing and we keep talking about you know the 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 rarity and the value but it also in the book you talk about how how that kind of went up and down in various times what 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 would would that be one of the reasons why where a new source was discovered or you know somebody else took over i mean how did how did the sort of commodity go up and down in price absolutely there were waves of popularity particularly if we look in europe
1: in the sort of dark age, so-called dark ages, spices all but fell out of culinary use. In medieval times, there was a huge upsurge, um, more because of availability than anything else. Mm. So spices were always desired. And then there became a time where perhaps the trade was too successful after all of this fervor around the 16th, 17th, 18th century spice became that deadly thing it became accessible, it became available uh-huh. and um, when peppercorns suddenly could be on every table they no longer held that status
0: and so perhaps
1: the allure dropped a little.
0: Oh wow Okay, let's talk about chili's arrival in Asia because I was surprised by this um, that it only arrived in the 16th century and Chili's, it just feels so native to, to asian cooking you know all over so i mean how did that happen that it that it came so late well yes it feels so intrinsic to yeah. food and there has
1: always been a, a love of of heat of picancy in asia yeah. but that used to come from peppercorns and it used to come from ginger both of which can lend heat perhaps not such an aggressive one but can bring and mustard seeds as well but it was owned uh, chilies were held in just the Americas, and it was only when Columbus sailed there and At the turn of the sixteenth century, mm. chilies started moving um eastwards, and they came with the traders who were taking chili seeds themselves to pep up their own food and chili okay. very quickly is a very easy um plant to grow and so very quickly people started growing a few chilies for their own use and this sort of band and love of chili very quickly spread it was a plant that could be grown anywhere it didn't have to be carefully harvested like peppercorns it didn't Mm. have to be taken on a journey to get there it's a plant that so quickly overtook um, Asian food within the lifetime of the conquistadors
0: so it was it was literally native of South America and those kind of countries where they were using chili, and bef- like way before we're talking, what what century?
1: Uh, well, chilies I think have been found in very early Central and Southern American cuisine. Yeah, but really it was only um, brought to Europe and to Asia in the early 16th century. Okay. Very very late um, 15th century as wow. well
0: incredible um
1: it was the portuguese who did a lot of the uh trading they were holding <laughs> quite a heavy kind of grip on the trade at the time yeah and um these portuguese trading ships took chili with them
0: it's amazing that it's it's so prevalent there now and you know you, you can't think of asian food without thinking of chilies. so <laughs> yeah great um Number nine, you say ginger was the first spice and it it, it actually predates journey records. It's that old. Tell us about it, it ginger. Is. It's,
1: it's hard to know where ginger, most spices we can tell where they came from, we mm. can trace their journey. Ginger, it's hard to know beyond Asia, possibly Southeast Asia, possibly China. Because really it is a spice that travelled with the very earliest um spice traders, people who were going on little outrigger boats and taking ginger with them, which would grow aboard their ships. And so it found its way broadly across Asia before we can really mark where it was that it originated. Mm. And that's why it's the foundation of so many cuisines. So much of Asian food in particular has ginger at its base.
0: Yeah. And I think you said in the book as well, the reason, one of the reasons is, again, it's one of those things that grow so easily, and they could even grow it on ships. So you could keep it alive and and import the fresh ginger root and then keep growing it. Absolutely. The
1: spices that are in some ways the most successful at spreading, ginger and chilli, also command the lower prices because they don't have to um, be taken on these great journeys. So things like nutmeg and cardamom become the fine spices, the ones that are prized, ones that are more accessible uh, are perhaps found in more foods, but yeah, um, yeah we're easier to spread.
0: What, what What are the rarest spices? Would you say, or the, the most expensive? What What commodity is the, the biggest prices? The
1: most expensive today is um, saffron, followed by vanilla, followed by cardamom.
0: Oh, cardamom! Really? Yeah, I'm surprised. Out there' green or black or both,
1: I'm not sure about their relative prices, yeah. but
0: I think that uh, green
1: is certainly much wider used than black. Yeah. Um, but then you get these spices that are very unusual and can command very high spices at high prices uh, because perhaps of their rarity. So you yeah. can take something like a um, cassia bud, also known as a cinnamon
0: berry. Okay. So that will be pretty expensive because of its rarity. Yeah, I don't think I've ever come across one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, we were going to talk about some spices that, that aren't around as much or in fact Extinct. Tell us about some lost spices. Well, there are some spices that are still around today, but don't hold
1: such global importance as once they did. For instance, in um, medieval times, there was grains of paradise were very popular, um, an African pepper, and a, a grains of salim is another African pepper that just aren't found outside of their countries of origin so much today. Mm-hmm. Um, another is a cubeb which is a tailed pepper from Indonesia. That was once something that was widely used and often found in kind of early gingerbread recipes, for instance, across Europe. But now its, it's use is more limited to the countries it grows in and the islands of Indonesia. Um, there's one spice that vanished entirely, which was called silphium, and this was um, obtained from a deliciously scented resin of a North African plant. And it was a favourite of the ancient Greeks. Wow. Who loved it so much that they often used it in a lot of their savoury cooking. Yeah. And um, there are sort of odes written to sylphium. It seemed to be one of their most popular spices. But um, it seems that first century Romans were the last people ever to taste it because it was wiped out due oh, to wow. over-harvesting. <laughs> so... Um, it's thought that it perhaps tastes a little like asafoetida, but we can only really guess at what
0: wondrous flavours it once imparted to food. Oh, sad. That food makes me feel sad, though. We have, <laughs> though, you know, in um, we have got loads of lovely spices to like compensate for, haven't we? It's such a lovely book, Eleanor, and it's also full of many, many recipes. Um, how did you break up the chapters in the book? Well, what I've done is... is
1: to think about the different flavour profiles of spices, because I think very often when you say spice, you think immediately of perhaps those earthy flavour profiles of mm. cumin, coriander, or you might think of chilli heat, pepper heat. But then I think it's also interesting to think about those fragrant and floral spices, or those that are a bit brighter and fresher, like fresh spice pastes. Mm. Um, so yes, the recipes are divided into chapters according to flavour, and
0: you've got fla- you've got a flavour profile. We- at the beginning in fact there's so many little lovely little references um, you've got a journey of flavour telling you like for each region or country what the signature spices is there's some great um a sort of map of all of the different spice blends that's another thing that i really love is is the spice blends and how they can how they all have their own character using the same spices but it'll be completely different depending on the ratio
1: absolutely almost the same spices as a map where you can sort of compare them and yeah. see that you've got the same spices featuring again and again but just little twists little ratio little extra ingredients brings an entirely different character
0: yeah. and what are what are some of your favorite recipes from the book
1: Oh, so hard to choose. But I think that everyone's got to try the tandoori chicken.
0: Tandoori chicken. (laughs) Fantastic. And that is a crowd pleaser
1: as well, isn't it? A crowd pleaser. (laughs) And it's a kind of beautiful example of of layering spices because it's got a double marinating process um, (laughs) with different spices.
0: Fantastic. Um, So your book is out now. It's called The Nutmeg Trail, A Culinary Journey Along the Ancient Spice Routes. Um, It's published by Murdoch Books and people can buy it at any good bookshop or online. Um, And where can people keep in touch with what you're doing? Instagram? On Instagram, I'm at Eleanor Ford Food. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us again today, Eleanor. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats hacks and shortcuts and don't forget to subscribe at itunes acast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts